Irish Nation, August is upon us. We're less than a month away from kickoff. And more importantly, it's wedding season for Irish Talk as Mike is set to walk down the aisle in October. And we have officially survived his bachelor party in Las Vegas last weekend. So please send thoughts and prayers as the podcast crew recovers. You heard it here first. We are officially an IU Day Club Tiesto podcast. We're making a hard pivot. Uh, <laughs> we did actually have, we had, we actually had a great time there. That was one of the spots that we went to. Brett and I were talking about it before the show. But in, uh, in all seriousness, um, we're, we're getting pretty psyched for the upcoming season. Great timing for the Marcus Freeman hangup video. Lots of Vegas connections. We were just in Vegas, so it's fun to mention some of these things. ND plays BYU in Vegas. I get married while ND plays UNLV at home. But right now, we have an important task at hand, and that's to preview the 2022 schedule. 12 games. We've boiled it down to five key questions, and we're going to alternate Q&A with rebuttals to get our listeners ready for Andy's upcoming season. Now what? Give him the signal. What signal? Flash your lights. Let him know that it's on. What's on? The deal. Coach, just do something. Before we dive in, quick recap on what our podcast is all about as we start season two for first-time listeners who might not be familiar with the show. We started the podcast last year really with two goals. The first was to create a positive atmosphere for Notre Dame football. We love celebrating these you know, really 18 to 22-year-old kids that help create what's our favorite hobby, cheering for Notre Dame, going to tailgates and games with friends. We'll be more critical on coaches, but when it comes to the players, we're always going to take the glass-half-full approach. The second goal was to have data-driven takes. Think of us as the money ball of Notre Dame football, the saber metrics. If baseball nerds are talking about war and exit velo and spin rate, then football nerds need to be talking about pro football focus grades and SP plus efficiency and line yards gained and explosiveness metrics and havoc rates and blue chip ratios. That's what Geirish Talk is about. We're not going to be here to throw a bunch of hot takes your way. This isn't a Stephen A. Smith show, but we'll provide data-driven takes that get our listeners more informed about Notre Dame football, more informed about what's really driving wins and losses week to week, and what's really setting up the trajectory of the program. That's a great recap, Brett. Pretty much sums up what we're all about. Now I'm going to go a little bit into uh, who we are. So we're class of 2014 alumni. I actually work in the media industry doing strategy work. So to the extent these rights issues come up, these rights uh, contracts come up, I can uh, speak to those due to some of my experience with that. And that's, that's come in handy, uh, recently, particularly in our last episode. But, uh, so, and then Brett works as an investment professional. So numbers essentially are just right up our alley. We've been best friends since our days back in Morrissey. That's where I lived in Fisher. That's where Brett lived. Uh, and, and D more broadly, we had classes together. Uh, football was a way that we always bonded specifically has really been the glue for a lot of our college friendships. So for us, this podcast, it's, it's really been a great way for us to combine a lot of our interests. Hopefully you, our listeners enjoy our approach. We love hearing from you. We had a lot of great listener engagement, especially on Twitter. Go check us out and please help spread the word, share our show with friends, leave a review. We love the feedback and engagement with all of you. All right, let's dive into the 22 schedule. All right, give us a uniform. Throw us a bag, then you get the uniform. Who are you guys? Mr. Golick. Mike Golick. But we would like to see the uniform 
to verify yeah, you guys have it before we hand over the bag. If that's cool, you guys. Yeah, Isaiah. That is cool. All right, the preview of Notre Dame's 2022 schedule. As Mike alluded to in the preview, we're going to go with a slightly different format for this show than we have with prior episodes. We've got five questions teed up. We're going to rotate who asks the question with the other guy getting to go first in response, followed by a rebuttal. And our goal for these five questions is to really tease out the entirety of Notre Dame's schedule, bucketing into key topics, really getting a high-level picture of what Notre Dame season is going to look like and, and what the range of outcomes are. And so with that, Mike, I'll start us off with the two marquee games on the schedule. What is Notre Dame's record going to be against Ohio State and Clemson? Call me optimistic, but I think one and one. So I think starting with the obvious loss, in my opinion, we'll see. We'll see. But we're, we're pretty big underdogs going into this game for Vegas and – when you look at that, you can't feel good about your your, your odds. But um, Ohio State in Columbus, the first week of the of the season, that's that's a pretty tall order for a brand new head coach. And I think Marcus Freeman could end up being a great coach at Notre Dame. But this is really his first game, uh, his first game that he gets to prepare for normally. New coaching staff, new quarterback. It's possible there could be some issues that we have this game that we have ironed out later in the season, but it's going to be challenging. And then, I mean, a big part of the reason it's going to be so challenging is just is the opponent. Our opponent in this game is extremely good. It's a very talented team. If you look at the 2021 talent composite, they're ranked third. And that's at a level where you're one of those teams that uh, is elite enough to win to actually win a national championship. You're one of those teams that actually could go toe-to-toe with Alabama and Georgia regularly. And so that's a level of talent that Notre Dame currently does not have. Maybe we get there in a couple years, but we're not there right now. They had a lot of solid production last year. They were a very good team last year. Unfortunately, I'm not going to say unfortunately, but they actually uh, fell on their face a bit against Michigan. But beyond, beside that, they actually were uh, a very solid team. And so you combine a really talented team, a team that performed well generally last year, had a couple moments where they fell off in key moments, and then you return a lot of that talent back, and that's a pretty scary team. And it all starts on the offense. So this offense, they have a rare combo of, of just talents uh, across these skill positions. Ton, like I said, a ton of returning production. They don't have as much at the receiver position, but that receiver position is loaded with talent. And it's a position that they've continually developed extremely well and continually sent people from that position to the NFL. So, But generally on offense, the gang is back together. And moving to the receivers a little bit more, you have Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka uh, Egbuka, don't know if I pronounced that right, Julian Fleming, and then, of course, Jackson Smith Najigba, which hopefully I said that right too. These are all very highly sought after receivers. They have big expectations. And so while some of them don't have as many returning, as much returning production as, uh, as you would find at some other teams, the expectation is that these, these guys will perform very well. And now next, another key component is who's actually throwing them the ball. And that's another pretty scary, uh, facet of their offense for Notre Dame's defense. And that's, uh, that's, um, it's, it's, uh, CJ Stroud. And CJ Stroud, he's the, I'd say he's, he's a favorite for the Heisman. One of those people that you expect to be a first round pick when he actually goes to the NFL draft. Just someone who's, who's very solid. He played really well last year and he's returning. Now, overall, their offense is phenomenal. It's going to be really tough for Notre Dame to match that. The positions that they're really strong at are some positions maybe, Maybe, I wouldn't say that we're weak at, but maybe ones that we wouldn't identify as clear strengths. I think 
some of our corners. It'll be interesting to see how they match up against Ohio State's receivers. If they do well, that bodes pretty well for our season. But I would actually be pretty surprised if we're able to lock these guys down. The one area where Ohio State has been a little weaker on, and this was their Achilles heel last year, is their defense. And particularly their linebackers. Didn't tackle very well. You saw this a lot in the Michigan game. But... A lot of a lot of people think that that may have something to do with their scheme from last year. They got a new defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles. He coached the top five unit at Oklahoma State, and then while they didn't, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad unit. It was actually overall solid, just not as good as you would expect from a team as good as Ohio State is. So you have a new coach coming in, the returning seven starters. I think the expectation is someone like Jim Knowles. There's some criticism, criticism of him in the past is that it's taken him a little bit of time to ramp up to get his defense going, but that's been with a lesser talent level. At Ohio State, he's walking in to a defensive roster that's loaded with talent. So uh, I, I would think he's going to be able to actually make quite a bit of progress here and get that defense going pretty fast. I do think one way that Notre Dame could possibly go against what I'm predicting here is if Ohio State comes out a little flat on their face in the first game. There's obviously risk for for, uh, for us to do that as well. But that, that's one way. Maybe their defense is a little flat. Maybe we can catch them by surprise a little bit. But this, this offense should be humming. And again, the horseshoe is a tough venue. First time head coach. It, it seems a tall order, in my opinion. Moving to the next game, which is Clemson. And so this game, this is a home game that we have in November. This is the other big matchup on our schedule. And, you know, this is a team that we've played a few times in the last five or six years. So these, these programs are familiar with each other. Dabo Sweeney has established himself as a great coach. A very talented team on the talent composite 2021 was fourth. So one of those teams that's, I, would, I wouldn't say they're quite as talented as Ohio State. There's a little bit of a drop-off from third to fourth, but they're still pretty close to that level to where you could expect them to reasonably compete for a national championship. And I, this year, they're ranked pretty highly coming into the season, but... I don't think they're getting quite as much hype as some of their other like elite tier counterparts. They could be going under the radar a little bit. So last year, DJ Ugalele, who's their QB, five-star QB, played really well against Notre Dame in that uh, that COVID season game. He he didn't play particularly well last year. He came out a little, uh, I don't know, his decision-making was a little suspect at times. He wasn't as accurate as, as people would have expected. So overall, their offense wasn't humming the way you expect. But this guy has a lot of upside. He's flashed at times. I think... I think uh, I think DJ, and then also at the running back position, they got Will Shipley, who was someone that Notre Dame recruited pretty heavily, five-star running back, and also looked pretty good at times last year. I think these guys are going to be better next year. I think that they're going to take a step, take a step up, and be a bit more effective. They have some unproven wide receivers, but again, this is a team that's recruited pretty well, and it's just like kind of surprising to me when I look at some of their projections. It's it's their offense is ranked kind of in the 70s and 80s and. It's just hard for me to believe that Clemson's going to fall into that range two years in a row, especially when you look at some of the talent that they have on their team. So that, that's the area of upside for them. I think, you know, I, th- I think they do have some of these, again, there are some of these questions, but w- one area where they don't have any questions is on the defense. And um, their defense is, is primed to be one of the best in the country. They basically have the whole D-line coming back, potentially seven NFL draft picks, the two best linebackers, Skalski and Spectre, they're gone. Um, also three starters in the secondary, but... Overall, four- and five-star talent. Clemson's continually put out great defenses. On a coaching standpoint, they're replacing their offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, defensive coordinator, Brent Venables. Venables, who notably has led a lot of great defenses there. So there's a lot to, there's certainly a lot to work with here. We know that their defense is going to be good. Their offense has pieces to be really good. Are they going to be elite? I don't know. I think when I look at their talent level and I look at Notre Dame's talent level, Clemson does have a bit of an edge 
I would say. Um, they, they definitely have an edge, but they have a couple question marks. They've had some coaching turnover. They got to play at Notre Dame in November. So I think some of these, some of these work out to where I, I don't think we're going to be going into this game. And maybe this is like a more emotional kind of component. I don't think we're going to be going into this game scared like we have at certain times in the past against elite teams. I think, I think our, I think our offense hopefully by this point is humming a little bit. So I don't know. I, th- I think gun to my head. I think it's a tight game, and I think we pull it out at home. But it's a bit of a toss-up, and that's why I said I'm being optimistic here. I think, I think we go one and one, and that's me going a little bit more positive on the odds than um, than what's out there. So, with my rebuttal, I like the assessment overall. I think you've hit on a lot of the key points. I hate saying this because I'm a really big Notre Dame football fan, but I think that we go zero and two in these games, and. Where I come out on that is I think it's close to a toss-up of whether we're 0-2 or 1-1, but I think Notre Dame fans need to view the Ohio State game as it would be an amazing upset if we win, but the early lines are about 15.5 point underdog. Um, I saw it move down to 14.5 and, and back to 16. So it's floating somewhere around a you know, two-touchdown underdog, and that translates to having about a 16% chance to win. And a couple of the things that I'm looking at is they were the number one overall offense last year, according to SP plus efficiency metrics, one of the most explosive countries, uh, offenses in the country. And they are bringing back everybody. They're bringing back 97% of their passes, uh, snaps at quarterback in CJ Stroud. They're bringing back 77% of their touches at running back. They're only bringing about half of their targets back at receiver. They lose Chris Olave and Smith to the um, NFL draft. They bring back Jackson Smith, Nijba, and Marvin Harrison Jr., among others that, that you reference. And so they've, they're replacing first-round draft picks with future first-round draft picks. And even their Achilles heel at linebacker, they were still the 20th best defense. And I get that that linebacking unit gets picked on a lot by, by pundits in the media, but they're bringing back all three starters at linebacker who were pretty young last year. They were, you know, largely freshmen and sophomore. Now they're going to be sophomore juniors and I think one senior. So they're bringing back a lot of guys there who maybe struggled in big games, but are talented at linebacker. It's just a really tough matchup for Notre Dame. We'll, we'll preview our roster next week. But as you think about us coming into this game with Tyler Buckner's first start at quarterback, sounds like Logan Diggs isn't going to be a hundred percent healthy. So we're replacing Kyron Williams with kind of running back by committee. We're replacing Kevin Austin out wide. It's just a lot of our production isn't coming back to this game with a lot of new faces. Their production is. They're a better team, and they're at home. That's a really, really tough recipe. So I'm kind of writing that game off. And as I think about Clemson, um, ESPN's win predictor gives us a 40% chance to win. So less than 50-50, but should be a tight game. What stands out to me there is I think this one's going to be pretty binary on two factors. One, does DJU step up? And I think a lot of his struggles last year were, one, he was a first-time starter, but two, Will Shipley, his probably best asset as a skills position player, a running back that actually Notre Dame was really you know down to the final recruiting battle. Will Shipley was down to Clemson or Notre Dame. He goes to Clemson, electric running back out of North Carolina, he was hurt for most of last year. And when he was on the field, DJU in that offense was a lot better. So if he's healthy, 
and DJU steps up, that's going to be really tough. And then I think it's a question if Dabo can keep this train going with two coordinators that are new to his system. For a guy who's had Tony Elliott and Brent Venables on his sidelines with him for pretty much his entire tenure as the head coach of the Clemson Tigers. But they have until November 5th to figure that out. They have until, you know, eight games into the season to figure out replacing Skalski and Spectre in the middle of their defense. What scares me the most about this team, this will hands down be a top three or four defensive line in the country. They bring back everybody. Um, I read one article that, that said there might be seven NFL draft picks in the first three or four rounds on their defensive line. That is an absurdly scary unit. We bring back a lot on our offensive line, so that should hopefully be strength on strength. We're at home. I think it'll be a really close game, but most likely Dabo's coming into this game 8-0, and you know Notre Dame's likely coming in with one loss against Ohio State, um, assuming we don't slip up anywhere else on the schedule. I don't like my odds. I think Dabo's going to have this team ready to play. He's going to come out hungry to get revenge for, for the 2020 game. I'm really positive about Marcus Freeman and, and this team in this season, but I think we lose both of these games. Yeah, I mean, circling back, when I was, it's funny, when I was talking about Clemson, I went in with the position that it was a game that I was, and I, th- I think my point still stands. It's, it's going to be a tough game, and I'm leaning on the optimism a little bit of home. We figured a few things out, and that would be enough to carry the day against Clemson. So I, I still think that, but it, when I was actually going through the roster and breaking it down, I I was I wouldn't say I was backtracking, but I was realizing how tall an order it is. It's if you're just starting with Clemson, it's you're getting an elite defense. You're going up against an elite defense. If our offense is clicking by then, maybe you feel pretty good about that. Maybe like you said, Brett, our offensive line can counteract the defensive line, and, and that gives you a chance. Um, and then after that. You're really just betting that their offense doesn't figure it out, which is possible. They have a lot of they have a lot of tools there, and I think that's really what we what we kind of need to happen in order in order to pull away in this game. We need to assume that DJU doesn't have a great game. If there's an area that doesn't have as much upside on their offense, I think it's their offensive line, and that's an area that count. I think we can counteract a bit with our defensive line. So if there's a path, I think the path that we win this uh, this game in is you know maybe they have. Excellent skill position players, if, even if DJU and Will Shipley and then the receivers do well. But if we're able to get a lot of pressure on them, I mean, that might be enough to, to disrupt it. Is this some type of joke? This is not the uniform. What you talking about, Willis? That uniform won a national championship. I'm sorry, sir, but this is not the uniform we're playing in. The uniform we're looking for is white. Hey, Golix! You gave us the wrong jersey. Not our problem. Moving on to our next question, Brett. These are so we have our tier one games: Ohio State, Clemson. Those are the really tough ones. Now, beyond that, we have a couple other tough ones that are more of question marks. I think they're games that Notre Dame should win, but I wouldn't say that it's one that you you feel certain about. And so that's that's UNC or USC. So my question for you is: which is the tougher road matchup? Yeah, great question. I know I was the pessimist in the last question on on the rebuttal. I do think Notre Dame wins both of these games. For context to answer the question, I'll come back to my answer at the end. I I think this is kind of a toss-up question. Uh, The odds makers say we have a 57% chance of beating North Carolina. 
and a 66% chance of beating USC. It's interesting that there's similarities between both of these teams in that they're both kind of starting over on offense. So North Carolina is going to be in their first season in the post-Sam Howell era. Sam Howell, of course, now playing in the NFL and set pretty much every single passing record in UNC history. And then at USC, in comes Lincoln Riley, in comes Caleb Williams at quarterback, in comes Jordan Addison, the top wide receiver in the country last year, the Belenikoff Award winner from Pittsburgh, and out goes pretty much the entire offense. Um, all of the quarterbacks are gone, just 3% of the snaps are back. All of the running, running backs are uh, gone, just 17% of their touches are back. Their big target, Drake London, who is their number one receiver, he's playing in the NFL. So both USC and UNC are similar in that, um, you know, they're turning over a lot of returning production on offense. And at first I was going to go with, uh, UNC being the easier matchup. Um, but as I dug into it, I think that Lincoln Riley is a long ways off from having success in USC. There's a lot of energy around the program. They've brought in a lot of talent in transfers. But this is a program that had 10 commits in their freshman class. Most committing uh, committing classes have like 20 to 25, and they only got 10 in this freshman class, despite all of the splash and all of the pizzazz of Lincoln Riley and all of the headlines he makes. They don't bring in a lot of depth. They needed 20 transfers to fill out their scholarship players. And I get it. Some of them are Caleb Williams, who is a five-star quarterback recruit at Oklahoma. I get it. Jordan Addison, arguably the best wide receiver in the country. But 20 transfers who are new to this program, plus 10 freshmen. So over a third of their scholarship players in their depth chart are going to be in their first season at USC. And most of those transfers are because they couldn't get a starting job wherever they were before. Maybe not the case for Caleb Williams. He follows his coach. Definitely not the case for Jordan Addison. He follows the bag of cash for the NIL deal to, to USC. But for a lot of this roster, that's the case. And it's just as bad on the defensive side of the ball. They are only bringing back 50% of the snaps on defensive line, 50% of their, uh, sorry, 38% of the returning production of linebacker and 29% at secondary. And that was a defense that ranked 106th in the country. So Lincoln Riley can come in and do whatever he wants to make this offense great. They were an abysmal defense, an abysmal defense last year. And don't bring back anybody. So arguably that's only going to get worse. Um, so I, I think Notre Dame's going to have a really great place at the end of the season uh, in California, playing for a lot on the line. And I think at that point in the season, especially if depth issues turns into injury issues, I like our odds against USC. Now, North Carolina, by the way, is kind of similar on defense. They were the 101st most efficient defense last year. Um, but what I like a little bit more about North Carolina is they do bring back quite a bit. They bring back 78% of their defensive line. Um, now, I get it. They allowed 32 points per game last year, but they have seven starters back. It's anchored on their defensive line. And while they replace Sam Howell, they're going to have a lot of support around their incoming quarterbacks. So they got a three-way quarterback battle between Jacoby Criswell, Drake May, younger brother of Luke May, I believe, and Connor Harrell. Um, 
but they have an all-American wide receiver, Josh Downs, who's going to be staying. He torched Notre Dame last year. He kind of single-handedly kept him into that game. And so I, I think we get the job done against North Carolina. The last two years we played North Carolina, and they were both supposed to be, you know, close games. And two years ago, Notre Dame outscored them, I think, 17 to nothing in the second half. Last year, we were beat them 44 to 34, and, and the score was not nearly as close as, as the game actually was. So Notre Dame's taken care of business against UNC before. I think they do so again. But Mac Brown has his program in a much more stable place with more production coming back at key positions, especially on defense. And I think that's going to be a trickier road game for, for Marcus Freeman to navigate than, than going to Southern Cal. Yeah, Brett, I, I agree a lot. I agree a lot with what you said. I, I do think I've been leaning a little bit more the other way, though. Looking at both teams, you'll see there, there's certainly, I think, both these teams are a bit boom and boomer bust. I think particularly USC. USC is the definition of a boomer bust team. I think what tilts me more towards USC being the tougher matchup is they just have the potential for an elite, elite unit. So someone like Caleb Williams could easily be a top three QB in the country. Jordan Addison, we already know he's, I mean, he was the top wide receiver last year and he's only going to get better. Uh, they have Mario Williams, Taj Washington, Gary Bryant. Their passing attack could be one of the most elite aspects of any offense throughout the country. Their offensive line at time has been serviceable. I think it'll be, you know, I think that's something that people kind of pick on sometimes. It's been better than expected. I don't think that's going to hold them back. But I, I think overall this offense could just be could be humming and could be maybe similar to what we saw in Oklahoma. Are they going to be able to do that right out of the gate? I mean, with some of the pieces they have, honestly they might. And by the time they're playing Notre Dame, I think I think that aspect's going to be good. But the question mark is the defense. And I agree with you there. I don't have any conviction that their defense is going to be any good. I guess supposedly their defensive line is supposed to be the one aspect of the defense that might be okay. But other than that, there are question marks everywhere. So it might be a situation where their defense is going to be porous, but their offense is so good that it keeps them in most games and they win most games. Um, and we've seen plenty of examples of teams that are these uh, just very one-sided teams it's all offense or it's all defense. I think US, there's a pretty good chance USC could be one of those. But when it's really extreme and when, when you're really elite in one of those aspects, a lot of times that can be enough to, to win a lot of games. Oklahoma is a good example of that. And so I think USC could do that. And I think that's, that's why I'm leaning a little bit more towards USC. Whereas UNC, on the other hand, they, they're, they're replacing some key pieces. Obviously, they're replacing Sam Howell. I think that's that's a pretty big deal, and then they're also re- replacing their their top back from last year. So their offense was was really good last year. I think their offense will still be good this year, but those are some key pieces that are gone. Uh, like you said, they still have they still have that wide receiver uh, from from last year who was uh, Josh Downs. Josh Downs, he was just torching us last year. So they still have him. Their QB, hey, maybe their QB will really be really good, but that's a bit of an unknown. One thing we do know is that we think that it's a pretty good shot that their offensive line is not going to be great. And so I think when you combine all that, uh, their offense was very close to an elite level last year. I don't think I would be surprised if it is this year. And then their defense was at similar to USC's level last year. Maybe they'll improve a little bit this year because they have more coming back. But I just think it's, I think I'm looking at still a pretty bad defense and maybe an above average offense, whereas USC's a bad defense, but potentially one of the best offenses in college football. And I think for me, that's enough to make me 
uh, nervous about USC. Now, the risk, another risk factor with USC is, as you mentioned, their depth. So if they get, if they have a bunch of injuries, they're probably not going to be able to weather that as well as some other teams. So, so unfortunately, which happens in college football a lot, injuries can have a pretty big impact. That's something that could, could come into play here. But aside from that, I'm inclined to go with USC in this situation. To totally get that view can definitely argue this one either way. If you said, you know, who's the better coach right now in college football and what team will have the better quarterback, that's USC. And at home, that, that'll win you a lot of football games. So definitely see that view as well. And Marcus, <laughs> maybe you should talk to Doug. <laughs> What are we gonna do now? We need that white uniform. Who's Doug? I know exactly where it's at. Let's go. Going to our third question. So there's eight other games on the schedule and frankly, none of them should be that interesting for Notre Dame. We have at least an 80% chance to win each of those games. Um, which really means you should be a two-score favorite in all of those games. The matchups are BYU, Syracuse, Marshall, Boston College, Stanford, Cal, Navy, and UNLV. So, Mike, in those eight games, which one of those teams concerns you the most? Which one's a trap game that could be, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the Tulsa or South Florida of the Marcus Freeman era, what's the one that our listeners should be most on the watch out for? From my standpoint, it's it's BYU. I just think they're one of those teams that could be pretty easy to sleep on a bit. We do have a bye week leading up to this game, so that helps. Uh, this game is in Las Vegas, so we have to travel, but we do have the bye week, so that counteracts it a little bit, I think. I think um, that makes the travel a little bit better from that standpoint. But if, if I'm looking at teams that aren't up to Notre Dame's talent level, but just we'll just play a perfect game and i think that's what it comes down to in a lot of games like this like even if even if notre dame doesn't play great even if it's not the best game for teams that have a much lesser talent level than us a lot of times they need us to not play well but they also need to have a perfect game and if i'm thinking about that byu seems like one of those teams that actually is capable of doing that a little bit more than other teams they're just they're number 2 in returning production according to some metrics so a lot of experience you have just guys on the roster who know what they're doing. We're going to have a really, I think our defense should be, should be, should be really good this year, but BYU should have a ridiculously efficient offense. They bring back their QB, Jaron Hall, and they bring back the entire offensive line. Um, as I said before, battle tested. They'll have played a number of tough matchups before this. And then on defense, they, they have a lot coming back, uh, as well. They had some injuries last year, but they're deeper and they have a lot of guys coming back. So I think overall, they're not as talented. They're not even close to as talented as Notre Dame. They're, they're 94th in the uh, in the uh, in the talent composite, and I think we're at, I, I think we're 12. I think that's what Notre Dame's at. Um, so huge gap there. But this is if I had, if I had to pick a team that's going to optimize their potential, this seems like one of those teams. Um, and again, it's just a weird game. It's in Vegas. It's in the desert. It's just kind of like in that middle part of the season. A lot of times where some guys maybe be starting to get worn down, we could potentially overlook them. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but. I would say this is one that uh, gives me a little pause. So finally, we're three questions into the show, and we get one that we agree on. I, I 100% agree. I think this is previewing maybe our next question, but I think Jaron Hall is a dark horse for Heisman. What I really like about BYU, 
Um, they were the 14th most efficient team, according to SP+. They graded out as the third best team, according to Pro Football Focus. And as you alluded to, they bring back their star quarterback, and they also support him by bringing back 85% of the production from their offensive line, which, by the way, ranked number two in the country in pass blocking and number nine in the country in run blocking. It's really hard to see... Um, offensive units, offensive line, especially um, kind of on the outside edge of the Power Five, if you will. You know, BYU is a good program. They're not really a Power Five program. To be grading out that well is really impressive. <clears throat> and then a ton of experience on defense. I don't know how great they are on defense, but they bring back a lot of experience. I think they pair it well. It's a very aggressive attacking style defense that I think pairs well with their offense. Um, I think this is a scary game for Notre Dame. I think it's a trap game. We should 100% be a mismatch for them in talent. We will just have way more four stars on the field than BYU will. We should win this game. But right now, and I'm seeing these procrastinate uh, pr- projections saying Notre Dame's going to win 80% of the time against BYU, and that probably means we're a 12, 13-point favorite. I don't buy that. I, I think, you know, we might be a one touchdown favorite and it's a game that, you know, a couple of, you know, lose the turnover battle, a couple of dumb penalties and this could get close in a hurry against a dangerous offense. So BYU scares me, but we should spend a few minutes ticking through the rest of the schedule. I'm going to start with the teams with very quick hits that I think have no chance of beating Notre Dame. Um, I'm going to start with Syracuse. You know, it's kind of an interesting game. We're on the road. They've got a really good running game coming back, possibly the best, um, you know, run game in the ACC. And they return eight starters on offense. That being said, they return eight starters on offense that weren't good last year. They were the 81st most efficient offense in SP+. They also bring back eight starters on defense. So Syracuse could maybe be interesting because they bring back 16 starters. But this is, you know, really a game that I just don't see them matching up on the talent level. Kind of a bottom barrel um, ACC team. Next on the list, Navy, you know, Ken Yamatololo. This is probably his last run at Navy. He's definitely on the hot seat. He's 7-15 and 15 in the last two years. They were one of the worst efficiency teams last year. The triple option just not working anymore. It ranked 115th in the SP plus offensive rankings last year out of 130 teams. And, you know, across the board, just no unit was really even a top 80 unit. So there's just nothing for this roster to hang their hat on. Um, just less talent than Notre Dame's going to have. Um, Notre Dame should be heavy, heavy favorites. Next one I'm going to take through Marshall. I'm actually really bummed about this game. The Thundering Herd were a really fun team last year through eight games. They then had some injuries. They lost three of their last four. Their quarterback, who is one of the best QBs, Grant Wells, one of the best QBs in the MAC conference, goes and transfers to Virginia Tech, where he might not he might not even be the starter there. And then their coach left. So this was a team that was an up and coming MAC team, had a great quarterback, had a great coach, and now it's all gone. And so I think this is a team that's going to take a big step backwards this year. Could have been a fun matchup um, at home for Notre Dame, but I, I think one we win handedly. Next, Cal. Um, really interesting in that this has been a team that's recruited pretty well. They're, they're top 50 in talent. And, man, did they have 
everyone transfer out. So they have 0% returning snaps at quarterback, 33% at running back, 23% at receiver, 16% on their defensive line. So across the board, they just had a big, big talent exodus. Um, in fact, their best running back, Chris Brooks, will be playing Notre Dame, but wearing a BYU uniform, not a Cal uniform. So Cal just lost way too much talent. I think that this is definitely going to be a rebuilding year for them. Uh, who did I miss before I get to two that I'm saving? UNLV should just be a total talent mismatch, 108th in the talent composite outside the uh, top 100 in both SP plus offense and defense. They were two and 10 a year ago. This is probably the biggest cupcake game of the year. Mike and I will be enjoying this game while eating cupcakes at his wedding. So I'm, I'm riding off UNLV. That gets us to our last two teams that might be interesting in addition to BYU. The first is Stanford. Um, one of the most talented rosters, probably the most talented after Clemson and Ohio State that Notre Dame will face this year. Last year they were 24th in the talent composite. But David Shaw on the hot seat, and it's really a question if he's going to get this locker room to rally around him. They are number three in returning production in the country. Um, their entire offensive line is back. All of their wide receivers are back, and their entire back seven, um, all three linebackers and all four in their secondary, are back. That being said, this is a program I called it about three years ago when the early signing period recruiting changed. Stanford um, really dropped off in recruiting. Still pretty good, but not those top 20 classes that you know David Shaw became accustomed to. And the last couple of years, it has been a disaster. Um, they were 104th in offensive efficiency last year. They were 107th in defense. Pro Football Focus graded this defense out at 125th out of 128. And when you think about these Stanford teams in the David Shaw era, and even going back to, to the Harbaugh era for Stanford, they were always top 10, top 20 defenses. And it is absolutely fallen off a cliff. They lost seven straight games to end the season last year. They really got blown out in five of those seven. Um, it's to the point where, you know, a couple of their key running backs have transferred to Missouri and USC. So like that there's some fissures within the program. It feels like if David Shaw doesn't, you know, at least win seven or eight games this year, this might be his last season coaching Stanford. So it could get interesting from that perspective if the program really rallies around him, the guys rally around keeping David Shaw's job. But otherwise, I know Notre Dame fans have been accustomed to classic matchups with Stanford. This is not that program anymore and, and should be an easy game. Uh, the last one. So if you're not going to pick BYU, this is where I think you go. Boston College. Um, Boston College has Phil Dracovic coming back. Notre Dame fans know him. The, the former kind of heralded four-star recruit. He was supposed to take over the program, lost the job to Ian Book, never got on the field, transfers to Boston College. He's been great when he plays. So he was healthy in the 2020 season, threw for 17 touchdowns, five interceptions, really led a resurgence for Boston College. Last year, injured his hand, didn't play much. Um, when he did, he, he was just still clearly not healthy. And around him now, they've developed a pretty good running back, um, a pretty good running game, and, and a pretty good skills unit at receiver. So wide receiver Zay Flowers, tight end Hunter Long, 
Um, that's probably one of the better uh, offensive talent combinations in terms of weapons for quarterback to have in the ACC, maybe outside of Will Shipley at Clemson and Josh Downs at UNC. But in terms of multiple targets, Boston College looking pretty good on the outside. The reason why I'm not too worried about this game is they're going to have four new starters on the offensive line, and they had a very solid offensive line last year. They were they were really top 30 unit overall um, in, in the blocking game and a lot of turnover there. So Boston College, Phil Jerkovich, it's going to be emotional. It's going to be his last shot at Notre Dame. He's getting looked by NFL scouts. He's probably a second, third round pick, depending on how the season goes could maybe play himself into a first-round pick. I still just don't see Boston College being dangerous in the way that BYU is truly a dangerous offensive unit. Um, I think Boston College is a team that can put up some points with a solid defense that will keep them in games. It should win eight games in the ACC. It's not going to be that type of team that can be dangerous in pulling off an upset. So just rattled through eight games. Wanted to make sure our listeners got at least a flavor for what's coming for Notre Dame. But I think as I kind of pull that together, you know, there's a real drop-off after Clemson and Ohio State. There's a really big drop-off after UNC and USC. Maybe we put BYU into that bucket, but these other seven games just don't really see them being competitive. Yeah, I agree with that. It's It's basically, even Boston College and Stanford, it's... We're getting kind of closer to the bottom of the barrel when we're picking tougher games. It's it's compared to games that are that should be complete cupcakes. These ones, it's, it's possible that these ones could be maybe a little bit more challenging. Boston College, the path to this being a tougher game is basically Dracovich is healthy. Their offense is humming. They're looking pretty good. Their offensive line has gelled a little bit better than expected. And even if not, Dracovich, when he's healthy, is actually pretty mobile, so he can kind of counteract some of the, some of those offensive line issues. Their, their defense is okay. It's, uh, it's, I would say not bad, not good. They have a lot of returning production, so maybe they could take a step this year. The, so I think the path here for this being a, a challenge to Notre Dame is, again, Dracovich looking really good, playing really, playing like a second round pick, maybe playing up to a first round pick. We have the Navy game right before this, so everyone's aware of the Navy hangover. Maybe with a new coach, maybe that comes back and hits us a little bit harder. And then we also have USC the week after this game. So it's it, the Boston College, I would say the placement of the game is also a key factor here. But overall, just not a talented enough team. They have enough question marks. This is a game that certainly should not be that challenging. And I, I think Stanford falls in that same bucket too. We don't have to go into too many more details on it. Brett, you covered it really well. But it's been a pretty steady downward trajectory for the program. And frankly, I, I don't want to bet. I, I wouldn't bet the other way. I, I would bet that it's going to continue to go down on that trajectory even further. So I agree with what everything you said pretty much here. The way that you laid it out in tiers frames the, the challenge of uh, different sets of games perfectly. I found it. Oh, yeah. Woo. The icy white with the gold trims? Let's go. It's nice. Let's go. nice. <laughs> okay, so now that we've gone through Notre Dame's schedule in detail, I want to ask you about a key position, one of the key positions that really can make or break the season for a team, and that's which quarterback is going to be the second best QB that Notre Dame will play this year. And that's after C.J. Stroud, because he's already established that he is overwhelmingly likely to be the most difficult uh, quarterback that we play against this year. 
Yeah, I, I really like this question. I think I particularly like it after last year because we sat here last offseason thinking Notre Dame's going up against multiple uh, NFL-caliber quarterbacks. We had Keaton Slovis on the schedule. He didn't really pan out. He's wound up transferring. Sam Howell, who was really good for UNC, but you know generally didn't play himself into a first-round conversation. I think he was a fifth-round draft pick. Des Ritter, great season for Cincinnati. Probably the best QB we did play. The, you know, the one QB that beat us in the regular season, third-round draft pick. Um, and then Brendan Armstrong at, at UVA had an incredible year, but he was hurt in the game against Notre Dame. So we wound up actually not playing that many elite quarterbacks. This year could possibly be that, but more likely than not, there's some real talented QBs on the schedule, but all with a lot to prove. So you've got Caleb Williams, who really struggled as a freshman at Oklahoma. He transfers with his coach, Lincoln Riley, probably a bit of a vote of confidence. Um, you've got DJU, didn't live up to expectations year one as a starter at Clemson. Dabo's really high on him. He's got a great offense around him. Um, apparently lost about 20 pounds this year and has gotten in better shape. So, you know, he's excited to step up. We talked about Phil Djokovic. He's probably a first or second round grade in the NFL if he does well this year. I, I, I don't know. I think probably most people have him in second, third, fourth round territory but has an NFL makeup, a big body. I think he's 6'3", 220. He has the making of an NFL quarterback. And then Jaron Hall at BYU. Um, I'm going to work backwards from those. I think the inconsistency of Caleb Williams and DJU as first-year starters probably rules them out from me of being an elite QB that we play. DJU... With Will Shipley, maybe that's a good offense. I don't know how dynamic there in the passing game. I think that's going to be more of a run attack. Caleb Williams, what I really like about him is he's got Jordan Addison on the outside. Blinnikoff award winner. We've mentioned that a couple times. Um, Phil Jerkovich, I, I just don't think Boston College is going to be some elite, you know, air raid passing attack. And what that leaves me with is Jaron Hall. I mean, this guy was really, really good last year. Um, you know, he ranked as the, or BYU ranked as the 19th best, um, passing attack according to Pro Football Focus. Um, he brings back a lot of his targets. He brings back his offensive line. And so I don't know if he's necessarily the best quarterback we'll play after CJ Stroud. I think he's going to be the most productive by a long shot. He's in a system that will feature him. He's got talent around him. They're bringing back consistency. They've done it before. So it's the safe bet on this list. But I think with Caleb Williams or DJU or Phil Dracovich, you need to stare at them and say they're going to do something they haven't done before. With Jaron Hall, he just needs to build on what he's already done. I think he's a dark horse for Heisman. Um, I, I'm really excited to just watch Jaron Hall's season. So he's, he's my pick of someone that, you know, I, I hope Notre Dame goes out and wins, obviously. But I'm really excited to see that guy play college football. Yeah, Brett, I think that all makes sense. Um, I think from my standpoint, Caleb Williams, I just have to jump to him first. He certainly had his moments where he looked like a freshman early on in the year. He had his moments where he looked indecisive, made some bad decisions. But this is a guy who was one of the most highly touted recruits coming into Oklahoma, five-star recruit. And when Lincoln Riley left, a lot of fans, the next thing they looked at, they're like, okay, is what is Caleb Williams going to do? Hopefully, if he stays... That, then I'm going to feel a lot better about 
the next season. And he left, and obviously that's something that stung quite a bit. It's worth pointing out that in the second half of the season, while he was inconsistent earlier, he played about as well as any quarterback in the country. So some of that five-star potential was really starting to flash by the end of the year. And I think he's going to continue that this year at USC, especially now that he has the supporting cast that he does at the Trojans. Now, moving on from Caleb Williams, I think someone like DJ uh, DJU, he's another guy who has a lot of high potential. He has a really strong arm, slimmed down a little bit. He's flashed at times. I still haven't seen quite enough to think that he to to really like bet that he's gonna take that step. I think there's like a good chance that he will, but he hasn't he hasn't shown me anything overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly convincing uh, yet that that says that he will. Phil Dracovich, I think Phil Dracovich, I think. If you told me he's going to be healthy for the whole year, I think he would be my my pick for uh, the next toughest quarterback to play against after Caleb Williams. I think he's, he's established that he can play at a high level. He's mobile. He has a big arm. Like you said, Brett, he's projected to go in the first three rounds. If he's healthy, he could possibly play himself into the first round. So for me, if he's healthy, he's I would say he's, he's going to be the, the third toughest QB that we would play. Jaron Hall for BYU. Someone who maybe doesn't have the same upside as, as, as some of these guys, but uh, just a really efficient, smart player. Someone who's going to put up big numbers, especially against some of the competition that they have. I think, um, I think for me, he's he's someone who who may actually put up the biggest numbers, but is he someone who would put up those numbers against elite competition? Maybe not. Maybe he gets you know maybe he gets exposed a little bit more there. But overall, I think he's someone who's going to be extremely productive. So I think if you gave me if you asked me to do a ranking, I think Caleb Williams. I think he'll be the second toughest QB that we play against. After that, I'm going to go with Phil Dracovich, assuming that he stays healthy. Then after that, Jaron Hall. And then DJU, he's, again, I just haven't seen enough from him to be convinced that he's going to, he's going to take that step. He easily could be someone who skyrockets to, to where I have Caleb Williams, but I've seen a little bit more from Caleb Williams at this point to think that he's going to play at a high level. So I'm now rethinking all of this. I just pulled up a Sports Illustrated article that showed, um, betting odds for next year's NFL draft. Phil Dracovich has the fifth best odds of going first overall in the draft next year. And at least according to Sports Illustrated, one source, he's he's a first round draft pick grade. So um Dracovich definitely drawing eyes of of NFL scouts. Also, Mike, we gotta be really careful about bulletin board material. I think in your rebuttal you said that you haven't seen much out of DJU. I just need to remind our listeners, we did see DJU throw for 439 <laughs> yards and put up 40 points against Notre Dame as a backup in his first ever career start back in 2020. Now, Notre Dame did win the game, and we pulled it out in the end, but I don't want to create too much bulletin board material and disrespect DJU. I, I have to. The last thing I'll say, sorry, go I was ahead. Say, I have to jump in there. That, that game, I'm kind of treating it a little bit as a one-off. It was a weird game that he was thrown into. There's a lot going on. He played, he played really well. And actually, right after that game, my initial reaction was, oh, this guy's going to be great for Clemson. Clemson is just going to be moving on from Trevor Lawrence and they're going to be set at the QB position. But then the next year, he just, he just didn't really show it. But, yeah, that's an important important point, Brett, because that's something that people could easily jump on, uh, that we haven't seen a strong performance from DJU. We, we certainly have. Of course, we still won. But uh, but that kind of goes with the point I was saying is that he's he's flashed some potential at times, but he hasn't really done it consistently enough, uh, and that's really what you need at the QB position. The last point that I was going to make was talking about recruiting rankings. I always have a big belief that talent will eventually win out. And Ian Book and Tommy Reese, of course, have proven me wrong by breaking Notre Dame passing records despite being pretty low-end three-star recruits. 
Jaron Hall was the number 722 recruit in the 2016 class. Now that also means going through the BYU system and going on a mission in between this dude is quite old and developed, but 722 recruit, um, out, you know, really outside of that elite conversation. We talk about Phil Dracovich. He was the number 83 recruit in his class. Um, so high end four star. DJU was 10th overall. And then Caleb Williams coming out of Gonzaga Prep in Washington, D.C. was the seventh overall recruit. So those guys were both five stars. So if you want to bet on talent wins out, it's probably Caleb Williams or DJU, followed by Phil Dracovich. If you want to trust the NFL scouts, it's Phil Dracovich. I'm still sticking with my horse in Jaron Hall. I think he's going to be electric in BYU system, but definitely can make an argument for any one of these guys. And what's also standing out to me is the secondary is going to get tested this year. Um, in, in a way that we maybe haven't seen in a couple of years. Um, and we don't have Kyle Hamilton back there. So definitely something Notre Dame fans, as we think about matchups, if there's a part of our defense that's probably not our strength, it's probably the secondary. We feel really good in the front seven. We'll get that to in a couple shows. But going up against some gunslingers could make for a long season for, for the secondary. We're the three best friends. I'm not your best friend. I'm your head coach. We're the two best friends that anyone can have. Just don't hang out with us, coach. Let's hang out. Going to our last question, wrapping this all up, we've now covered the 12 teams. We've covered some of the elite headline quarterbacks that Notre Dame will go up against. Mike, as you stare at this schedule, at the end of the day, what's Notre Dame's record going to be? And and I'll I'll start by framing it for our fans. ESPN predicts nine and three. Vegas says the over under is nine and a half. So with with that as kind of the framework, do you think we outperform and get to ten wins? Do you think we underperform and are only at seven or eight? What do you think our record is at the end of the year? So I think you got to start with the obvious loss that we talked about, Ohio State. So that's one loss out of the gate. I would be I'd be very surprised if we won that. Now moving on to the next tier, I think it's it's I think it's possible one of those teams ends up being a surprise and ends up being better than expected. Maybe maybe it's USC. Maybe USC has that elite elite offense that I'm talking about. Like I was saying with Caleb Williams. He was a very high-end recruit. I think you said he was number seven in his class. And at the, at the second half of last year, he was playing like a five-star quarterback. So if, if you have someone back there who's just lighting up defenses, has great receivers, has good backs, the offensive line's doing fine, even if their defense is, is not great, I think, uh, I think there's some real risk there that you could, you could drop that game, especially if you're playing on the road. So I, I'm going to predict that one of those, one of those teams, either USC or, UNC end up actually being better than expected, and, and, and that could be another loss. Now, beyond that, this is where I'm a little torn. So I think I've, I've, uh, I have two losses between our Tier 1 elite most challenging games and then our Tier 2 teams that could surprise and have some talent. They basically have enough on hand to be frisky, and we'll just see what happens. If they ended up being bad, that wouldn't be a surprise either. Um, so between those, I got two losses. And then our next category, it, it's, uh, it's games that we should – we should just win games that we shouldn't drop. These are games that Brian Kelly would always clean up in for the most part. Maybe not, maybe not as much earlier in his tenure, but certainly once he got the team going after the 2016 season, these were games that we pretty much never lost. So the question is, is Marcus Freeman going to be able to be able to do that as a first time head coach? And 
I'm a little, I'm a, I go back and forth on it a little bit, but I do think, I think there's a lot that goes into being a head, head coach that you can't even anticipate. Um, it's whether how you manage 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 the roster, how you manage injuries, how you manage motivation. I, I, I got to feel that there's one game in there that we just, for whatever reason, we're just we're just it's just not our day. We don't show up. Maybe it's BYU. We've talked about BYU. That seems like a game where easily we could uh, we could just not have it that day, and then BYU plays an extremely efficient, productive game that works uh, pretty well against us. So, I think taking scope of all that, my prediction is nine and three, which is frankly not a bad result for for a fairly tough schedule with a first time head coach. I wouldn't be. I would actually would not be mad with nine and three. If we got nine and three, I think I would actually and and say Buckner played played really well down the stretch. And we had some other other questions that kind of showed up that were answered by the end of the year. I think I would actually feel pretty good about that. Um, of course, you always want to make the playoff. You always want to contend for a championship. But first time head coach who showed shown a lot of juice on the recruiting trail. If he goes nine and three against the, again, like I said, a tough schedule. That's my prediction, and I, I, I would actually be okay with that. So as I started prepping for this show and researching and going through the schedule, my immediate reaction was eight and four. And the rationale for it was first game, Ohio State, 16 point underdog. If that record holds, you know, if that holds true and you lose by 16, right? So you kind of get blown out in your first game as a head coach. You lost the Fiesta Bowl. Like there's probably some wind out of the sails of the program. I was thinking Clemson's a loss. I talked about that out of the intro. I was initially thinking, you know, Lincoln Riley, end of the season. They're getting momentum going. Notre Dame's not in the playoffs, doesn't have anything to play for. Don't know about that one. And then somewhere along the way, first-year head coach, something dumb happens, first-year starter, QB, whatever. Something just happens that maybe doesn't happen in the well-oiled Kelly 10-win machine. And we go 8-4. and four. So, like, that was my initial reaction was take the under. I'm now flipping this around, by the way. I start off the show saying we're going to go 0-2 against Clemson and Ohio State. I'll, I'll stand by that. I'm now going to take the positive side of why I think Notre Dame goes 10-2, and two, and it's the setup of the schedule. Um, one of my favorite college football podcasts is The Solid Verbal. Big fan of Ty Hildebrand, if, if he's listening, a, a fellow Notre Dame fan. Uh, if you want to learn more about college football more broadly and like something that's maybe a little less data-intensive than this and is more of a jovial, humorous show, highly recommend The Solid Verbal. It's great. They talk a lot about schedule kind of matchups or timing. For example, a sandwich game is, you know, if we go Ohio State and then Syracuse and then Clemson, Syracuse would be the sandwich game. And, and maybe it's, you know, a letdown look ahead. You know, you got a letdown after Ohio State. You're looking ahead to Clemson. You're not bringing your A game and, and you slip one up against Clemson. Or just in general, like, a, you know, a, a look ahead game where, you know, you're not paying attention to Boston College because you got Clemson next week and Phil Dracovich torches you. Well, this schedule sets up really well for Notre Dame. So after Ohio State, we're going to come back and we're going to get Marshall at home, Cal at home. Those should just be automatic wins. So by the time we get to UNC, we'll be three weeks removed from Columbus. We'll have caught our breath. We'll have two wins under our belt. We'll be feeling better about the trajectory of the program. And then we get a bye week to prepare for BYU. You mentioned that, Mike, when you're going over the BYU game. So we'll be well-rested for BYU Two weeks to fully focus on that. And then we're going to come back and we're going to have another easy stretch. Stanford, UNLV, Syracuse. Three, what should be very winnable games leading up to Clemson. 
And then after Clemson, that could be a very, very physical game. We're going to come back and get Navy, and that should just 100% of the time be a win and really get a chance to catch our breath before going into Boston College and USC to close out the year. So my, my gut tells me that that setup where it's not big game after big game or even every other week, but just really nicely spaced out, home games are well-timed, that should prevent the South Florida or the Tulsa from happening. Do we lose one at USC or UNC? I don't know, but but we shouldn't. And after those four games, there's just not a team on the schedule where Notre Dame won't be a double-digit favorite. So you're really saying among UNC, USC, Clemson, Ohio State, I, I think we go 0-2 in the two hardest games. I think we go 2-0 in the two easiest games. And I'm increasingly confident that Notre Dame's going to go 10-2 and this year. Um, I know that's a big take. I know it's a big take coming from a guy who also started the show off saying that we'd, we'd lose our two biggest games. Um, but overall, getting more and more excited as this season ramps up. Um, and I haven't mentioned it yet because we're saving it for next week's show. This might be the most excited I've ever been about an offensive line unit at Notre Dame. I'm really excited to dig into those guys. If you have five great offensive linemen, that will win you football games that you otherwise, you know, rest of the team isn't playing well, but the offensive line just controls it. So I think that's another element that wins that trap game, that wins that clunker where we don't bring our A game. I think Notre Dame pulls out 10-2. and two. I'm going to take the over and, and be glass half full on this one. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think when you're – this is a point we've mentioned before in the past, and this is something we're going to mention when we go deeper into, into the roster. But when, you, when you're really strong on the trenches, that really limits, I, the I would say, the volatility that your team shows at times. Um, like you said, you can just, you can just physically dominate teams. And, and those are two areas that we're very strong, the offensive line and the defensive line. So against lesser opponents, opponents, hopefully you can just bully them. And, and so I think 10 and 2 is fair. I, I, I still kind of come back to the first time head coach, first time, uh, quarterback. It's just, I, the prospect of us playing a, a lesser team and Buckner just, just throws a couple picks. The team's a little rattled. We're not showing up. It seems like there's a little bit more risk there with some of these games. Than we've had uh, under like the very the very steady tenure of Brian Kelly over the last you know five years. So, uh, but we're pretty close nine and three, ten and two. I'm a little more negative, I guess. Uh, although, which is funny to say because I sounded more positive when we were talking about our toughest matchups. And yeah, you you got a little bit more positive uh, kind of as we went throughout the show. For sure. So that wraps up our show for this week. One segment just on the schedule. We're going to be back next week with the offense previewing the offensive side of the football. The following week, we'll come back and talk about the defensive side of the football. That will then lead us right into Ohio State. We're, we're 25 days away at time of this recording. Um, and so gearing up for the season, but we've got three more preview shows for you. And the last thing I'll leave the show with, August 16th, Netflix, the Manti Teo Catfish uh show comes out we'll see how it goes M- mike and i got some thoughts to, to weave that into one of the next shows so uh, be on the lookout for that in one of our upcoming podcast shows to dig into our experience of of manti teo on campus during that whole saga when when we were undergrad students but with that it's a wrap and we'll be back to discuss the rosters next week garish garish we should come back next week take the whole city down hey i'm free next week Actually, next week doesn't work for me. The Jonas Brothers are in town. Any other week works perfect. October 8th? 
Allegiant Stadium? We're back, baby. We're back. Shamrock Series. We're back. Bank, bank, lane switch off. And I went to gang, 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 gang.